0: Everybody and welcome to the end the end of 2020 we are here to record our final full episode of 99 potions we're gonna have something a little bit special for you uh next week after you're hearing this but in the meantime we are rigging in this year big bad year of 2020 in the best way that we know how on your favorite rpg podcast with your favorite rpg pals which includes me steven strom managing editor over at fanby.com we also have Editor-at-large, uh, John Warren? Oh, head of media now, I believe, is the actual term. I, f- I forget yeah, which one.
1: I, honestly, it's really fine. Um, head of large. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, editor of Fanbyte Media. Just whatever combination of those things that you want to do. Uh, but yeah, that's me. Hello.
0: Hi, John. And, and, I'll,
1: and I'll never actually correct wh- which one it is. Like, I appreciate I think that. I think it's just like, it's good to just have a like floating title that no one's quite aware of. So.
0: Right, yeah. It's really good for kind of morale and uh, establishing a chain of
1: command. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who's your boss? I don't know. His title's unclear <laughs> to everyone, to everyone at the company.
0: There's this shadow human that kind of just like floats <laughs> okay. in the periphery of my All vision. Right.
1: <laughs> okay, now now for real, my, my new title is Shadow Broker, John Warren. <laughs> Fanbite <laughs> Shadow Broker.
0: Oh, that's so fucking appropriate. <laughs> okay. Uh, also... Here, joining us this week is the equally wonderful Natalie Flores, featured contributor for Fanbyte.com.
2: Yes, I do have a set title. Hello, how are y'all? <laughs> yeah,
0: the, yours I can remember. I can't remember Johnson. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's really well funny. now I can though because it's just Shadow Broker now. I should I should correct myself.
2: <laughs> When's the DLC coming, King?
1: um dlc for for me <laughs> for yeah you guys. shadow broker so, so dlc the, retirement i guess yeah i think it's in like <laughs> retirement
2: as dlc it's
1: it's in 40 or so years i feel like uh, <laughs> is when the dlc is gonna hit
0: <laughs> well we have assembled this crack team as we usually do to talk about rpgs like i hinted at before but specifically we are going to talk about the defining rpgs of 2020 as chosen by your excellent panel of hosts uh me natalie and john and what defining rpg of 2020 means is a little bit loosey-goosey we left it open to interpretation intentionally so that we can kind of get a conversation going here and also because if we had to try choose one rpg as like our rpg of the year we were going to turn this into a blood sport and kill each other and we all know john would win that fight so oh uh we decided to gang up and make sure that it would uh you know be more of a fair fight and just let a bunch of different rpgs kind of shine in the spotlight uh yeah, anybody want to start? Um Natalie, I know uh, you put some notes in here about some Yeah, things. you I- did.
2: <laughs> yeah, I put some notes for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, should we start with the good or, or, or the bad? Um, uh, this let,
0: note here says, Let's get it out of the way. <laughs> I think I that's a really good
1: I feel energy like for it's totally, it's definitely worth it to go ahead and just mention the elephant in the room. Yeah. All
2: right. Let's just rip off the band aid. Um, okay. Cyberpunk 2077. Um, yeah. We said we weren't going to talk about it. We are. We
1: have (laughs) just just as a preview for uh, and if you're listening to this on uh, Wednesday afternoon, a preview for my Wednesday show fan by news with John Warren uh, between Mm -hmm. that show where I talked to Imran Khan and this show and also the two hour uh, review podcast. Which was extremely good. Thank you so much. Um, th- there will probably be like almost three hours of cyberpunk content on the web. So like we went from kind of being like, we can't talk about this to I don't know when I can stop talking about it is is what it's turned into. Right. But that feels very significant <laughs> to me. So. Yeah,
2: because it's like I, I mean, I even have like, personal reasons where I was like, I am not going to engage with this game. I have gotten harassed over this game publicly multiple times ever since I first watched the very first demo at E3. That's the year that I went to E3. And then I wrote an article about the racism. And of course, I had gamers harass me over it. And, uh, you know, I so I have reasons for not engaging to the point that I told a friend. Um, she invited me to come on the show to talk about cyberpunk, even before I was out, before all of this. And I was like, you know, I kind of like, need to take care of my health like mental and physical so I'm not gonna do that but we can't really escape this game because we this is the industry we are entrenched in it is the biggest game right now has been for a while for better or worse much more worse than better Um, and we can try to not engage with it but at the end of the day these are our jobs and we have to sort of in a way suck it up and talk about this game and how it is affecting our culture and its role within that culture um so that's why i was like let's just get it out of the way um so i guess i guess i'll do that um so it's, yeah,
0: yeah. It, when you say it like affects the culture i think actually what we're learning at a very accelerated rate is that it's actually probably not Reflective. Going to have much of an- it's more yeah. reflective, yeah, uh, yeah, of the culture than it is like going to be, uh, have any actual kind of effect in the grand scheme of things. Because I've been really thinking about the reaction to Cyberpunk 2077, and it really does just feel like the hyper accelerated version of, of the same kind of thing we have with a lot of different games right. over time. Um, I think it was Jeff Gersman over on Drive Bomb was talking about how, you know, you've seen stuff like this with Twilight, going back to like Twilight Princess and Super Mario Sunshine, like GameCube games and stuff like that of like people being like you scored this game way too fucking low and then six months later it's like no, well, actually, no, you were probably right. <laughs> and then six months after that, it's like, actually, you probably scored this game too high. You were probably generous. Um, mm-hmm. And this is that whole process, except instead, like, and that's not new. Like, we saw that happen with Bioshock Infinite as well in a more recent example where everybody was like super hyped for that game. They played it and it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This game is great. And then like over time, the the culture basically just moved on from that game and like nobody talks about it in any way except to talk about how bad some of its ideas were. Um, yeah, and if
2: you like it, you're memed on.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> rightfully so. <laughs> I'm not just kidding, but um, <laughs> <laughs> no, rightfully so. In a lot of cases, like there's, whatever was good, people um, can enjoy
0: things. Uh, but also, that game has some glaring problems, just like Cyberpunk yeah. has some glaring problems. And I think it's just like the the problems. The the uh, the thing with Cyberpunk is that the uh, ratio of unabashed excitement to like actual crashing into expectations and the reaction to like from from companies, from Sony taking it off the store is mm-hmm. so unprecedented that like people have to reckon with the um gulf between expectations versus reality in such an accelerated rate than we normally have to deal with. And that is what's actually most interesting about this game from like a perspective of its impact on the industry is mm-hmm. seeing a game, this like it feels like, the highest profile example ever of the center not holding on AAA game development.
2: Absolutely. Like, there's just, like, like it has permeated, I feel like, every aspect of the game's journalism industry just because, okay, so on one hand, we've got... All the harassment that women like Callie Plague at GameSpot and Leona Rupert at Game Informer dealt with just for doing their fucking jobs. Um, the fact that like Cali rated this a seven and that was enough for an entire mob of harassment to come her way. And she is absolutely not new to that. That poor right. woman has faced so many harassment moms throughout her career just for doing her job and doing it damn well. Um But yeah, and then Liana Rupert getting legitimately assaulted with uh, epilepsy-triggering videos for having reported that Cyberpunk 2077 uh, triggered an epileptic uh, seizure. Um, There is, you know, the relationship between PR and uh, publishing companies and developers and the games media, you know, like, all the commentary going on around on, you know, like... (laughs) The Defector article, of course, like that. of an article um, laying the blame on journalists who are just severely underpaid in general and overworked and just trying to do their jobs and at the mercy of a system in which like those codes were just not made available like it doesn't matter how much access you have in this industry those console codes were not made available to journalists until after the embargo lifted um That was not something any individual journalist can control. Um, The deception, you know, the purposeful deception on CDPR. They can't pretend that whole bullshit about, yeah, we didn't know. Like, that is absolutely... That is so transparently not true. Nikki um, uh, has been
0: out there talking about how they absolutely, you know, Nikki, who is somebody who has worked in like QA before
2: mm-hmm. on
0: uh, call of duty games and whatnot, um, went out there and basically talked about how like, Oh, they absolutely basically got a pass through, um, certification processes for the console versions of this game, um, they basically probably asked for like a, basically a waiver of trust, which is kind of how this tends to work, and mm-hmm. they had that earnings call, and at first I was like, oh yeah that seems like a good theory, but then they had that earnings call um, yeah. where they talked to investors and they said like, oh, we assume that Sony and Microsoft just trusted us to fix this stuff eventually, and that there's no assumption in that in that situation, the way that that system works is you ask for a pass, uh, you ask mm-hmm. to get waived through, and because they are the developers of The Witcher, they are one of the largest. Uh, they are, I think, either the first or second largest developer in all of Europe. Um, mm-hmm. Close to Ubisoft out there, they're they're not a scrappy small team. Like they're mm-hmm. a huge publicly no. traded company. Oh, they, they, have yeah. 1, they have twelve
1: hundred. They have twelve hundred employees.
0: Yeah, they're exactly. super significant they're, they're, they're massive, to Poland's massive, economy. Massive. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, just absolutely enormous company and like that, and so they get by. They were allowed to skate by on that sort of reputation of being able to ask for that sort of thing to go through. So they were definitely um, well. They, on the little, they said it? on the call.
1: They said on the call. They said on the call that they didn't focus as much on this. Right. I mean, they said it. Like it's it's one of those things where. I was genuinely surprised. I mean, Sony took it off the store. Did you know that they took it off the store?
0: They took it off the store. They took it off the store.
1: (laughs) Um, I was actually, genuinely, I was pretty surprised it took Sony as long as it did because the the transcript of that earnings call or like the the pieces of it that came out. um, If I were a platform holder, I would have said, okay, 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 chuckle fucks. Like, you basically admitted <laughs> you didn't do this. You asked us for a pass because that's how it works. And we gave you one. And so you're not going to clown on us like this. Like, right. I would have done that. Now You directed the,
0: the internet at us. You told now them the really, to, that it was our problem.
1: And and to to your point, um, Natalie, about uh, Liana Ruppert, or Rupert. Is it Rupert or Rupert? Liana I'm,
2: Robert, okay. or a <laughs> <Robert.
1: laughs> Liana, a actually, wonderful
2: person. And... I've
1: just never heard her say her name uh, out loud. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure. so sorry, um, Liana.
2: In advance, we love
1: you. I do, phonetically, I think it's Rupert, but I have no idea. Um, we covered Liana, both bases.
2: Up? Just in we cover hey, both bases.
1: Jordo, can you just go ahead and just like you know uh, splice in whichever one was correct? Thanks.
2: Everyone yeah. um, say Rupert, Rupert.
1: And... <laughs> it's like a vo. We're like in the vo booth, like in a sports game <laughs> announcing like every single name over and over and over again uh anyway our, her piece of reporting about the the epilepsy triggers le- legitimately probably saved cdpr from uh, that was a
2: whole a ass really pod, like, really crisis. big
1: problem like yeah a genuinely big problem because that stuff came out and was patched out before a lot of people played it right. and and like I, I don't know. I, I feel I feel like this actually didn't even go as bad for C D P R as it could've. Oh yeah. Which is which is unbelievable to think about how bad this launch has been. They sold and they have 13 sold thirteen million, 13 games. million units. Hey, yeah. read
2: your mind.
1: Uh, 13 million units. That's with the returns so far. Oh, that is with the returns. That's with the returns. Yes. And
2: I've seen people comment, you know, like there is a significant decrease in the second week sales Mm. uh, compared to the first week sales. But it's like, that's still 13 million.
0: 13 million in the first week. Um, And they uh, made
2: back all the development and marketing costs the day of launch, pretty much.
0: There was that other very funny kind of statistic um, about this, which is that... um, World of Warcraft, or Blizzard came out there and said World of Warcraft: Shadowlands is the best-selling PC game of all time, and that lasted about 36 hours. And then Cyberpunk came out and said, "We are actually the best-selling PC <laughs> game of all time." Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's unbelievable. And and I think like uh, the uh, the really the really wild thing, and, and we mentioned some of the the takes and the journalism around this, and and just the, you know the the codes and. And the disaster around the embargo, which was like completely bizarre, you know, prevented folks from uh, supplying their own footage uh, in review uh, because, because very clearly, and I think everyone more or less agrees with, with this now, uh, they they knew they knew that if they showed the 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 gap between. Uh, What they were showing, what CD Projekt Red was showing and what these reviewers were actually seeing, which in some cases looks as good, if not better than what CDPR was showing because they've got high end PCs with amazing settings and all this stuff. But no matter what you look at with the bugs and the performance, which are pretty, pretty uneven, even across every single platform, Mm -hmm. this game is still unfinished, not finished. It
2: It is uh, unfinished. It's not good. It's not, it's
0: not a good RPG.
1: It's not a it good is. RPG. So many of the things that people are saying are bugs are not bugs at all. They are no. they are choices they made yeah. with the AI, with uh, the way that the police work. Listen, a, a lot of people have talked about this that are smarter and funnier than, than us. But just a really, really quick uh, example of this. The police in this game, if you hit someone in with your car, uh, and, uh, like an innocent person, you get a message that says you've committed a crime. The police are on the way and the police will spawn randomly within about a, I don't know, a 200 foot radius of your character and just begin shooting at you. Did right? you see the glitch um,
2: where, um, where someone did like. Shot from the t- like this super high building and down at the uh-huh. street to commit a crime, yep. and the police yeah. showed up right behind. This them.
1: right One behind them on the building. top of the. Yeah. Building. One of my favorite
0: yeah. ones is um somebody going inside of an empty elevator uh in a building and then shooting out into the street and then turning around and like six yeah, squad plus <laughs> like spawn behind them in this empty elevator, um and it's like and and also they don't spawn in cars. The police can't drive cars because no. this game does not have any driving AI. No. The the One of the big things that people point out is that if you stop a car in the middle of the street, like seven cars will just pile up behind it and not move because they don't know how to get around it. In the street races in this game, the cars don't chase after you because the cars don't have any kind of pathing to them. So what actually happens in the street races is the cars are just constantly despawning and respawning near you to try and create the illusion that you're actually having a race. There's no actual races in this game. And john you say that these these were choices uh, they were definitely choices but they were choices made probably because they were being forced into like they're they're bad choices i don't think that the people I, a lot of people ba- involved were they're, like,
1: they're bad choices and a, lot, but of like, there, there a and lot of cuts there are a lot of cuts but like i just want to illustrate something and I, I i don't mean to boil game development down into these like very very simple ideas but when you're when you're starting with the design of this game five years ago let's generously say five years ago um you, you have at your disposal essentially all the money in the world. You have 1,200 employees. If One your of the team,
0: biggest teams in games, yes,
1: probably. If your team of 1,200 people all looks at each other and goes, yeah, I actually don't know how to do the AI work from GTA 5, then, then <laughs> GTA what do you 4. do? Then what do you do? What do you do? You mm-hmm. go hire a consultant. You go hire someone from those teams that knows how to do that. Like the, CPR, this, this stuff is so this this, yeah. this this stuff is so bizarre to me. And again, I I am being reductive, but like I'm also not being unfair. Like no, these things are things that is. like. Like that's clearly meant to evoke the same kind of feeling. Like this would be an immersive game in an interesting way. If every single NPC had meaningful AI, if the drivers had meaningful AI, if traffic was real, I can't stress enough. The traffic in this game is not real in the sense that. If you look away from it, it goes away. It despawns like the people
0: inside of the cars will sometimes despawn and then the car is (laughs) despawned later. Yes. So weird.
1: Um, I, I went on a mission once where, uh, it's the same one that we talked about in, in the review podcast, but here's a different angle from it. It's the one where you track down GLaDOS essentially, uh, go listen to that review podcast for me losing my mind about that. Um, (laughs) but you basically track down GLaDOS as a car and she summons these gangsters and what happens, I'm not kidding. I I really am not kidding. And I wish I had done, I wish i had taken video of it. These cars from off screen, um, they don't drive up. They slide up like two <laughs> elements that are being dragged from the left and right to the middle of the screen. And then some people get out of the car. A few of them spawned outside of the car, not actually getting out of the car, but just like teleporting outside. And then when, to, when you kill them, the 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 mission is basically over, but the two drivers, quote unquote, drivers of that car, are people with uh, a health bar with like uh, a little emblem over their head that says that they're hostile, but they're not real. You can shoot them a hundred thousand times and they won't die. Mm-hmm.
0: Uncre- There's just incredible. stuff
1: in this game that like. It this needed another year, frankly. Yeah, for
0: sure. When I say, and earlier when I said just to clarify that these were bad decisions, I don't mean bad decisions and that they made bad decisions. I mean, they were given bad choices. It was like, they were given bad choices. Do do you get this game out by the end of this year so you can get your bonuses? Because we're using a fucking Metacritic bonus structure, which is fucked up in itself, and they did walk that back. Um, or do you like not do this? Do you delay it again another year or whatever? Like, and they're out there saying like we have a big patch, big patch planned for January, and then a second big patch planned for February. And so, like, well, then this should have been a twenty twenty one game. <laughs> like, yeah. put this game out in January, if if not February, if not March. When, like, would have waited. They would done.
2: have been a little upset, but they would have waited. People and would
0: have waited. They've been doing the pre developers developers for this game for eight much. years.
2: Yeah, and something else that I want to touch on. Um, in terms of the conversation we were having about like how this has um, you know played like the the integration of games media and criticism and this game like something that I'm very frustrated about is that I feel like this was the worst uh, case scenario coming to life because on one hand like I have spent years being critical of this game because it has not given me reason not to be. I found it to be mired in racist stereotypes. There was the transgender poster controversy, um, actually watching the game. Um, It is filled with misogyny. There are women who are assaulted on the streets and you can't do anything about it. Um, And there are some really problematic uh, storylines. I mean, I've I've mentioned fleetingly, like, how much I love Judy and how great of a character she is. Um, But not all the women in the game fare that way, especially women like Evelyn. Um, and, And so something that really frustrates me as someone who has spent years trying to get people to be more conscious of the fact that this game has had some very real issues outside of the bugs and whatnot that we've learned now is that that conversation has those conversations have been taken away right like now it's I don't know when it will be safe to criticize this game or it will be safe for anyone to really criticize this game and engage in meaningful criticism because right now everything is about the bugs everything is about the glitches um if you if you critics if you criticize the game you um you know you're tackling the bugs right uh you're being too harsh or if you're not criticizing it enough. It's like you know, like there is no grounds for people to meaningfully engage with this game outside of the bugs because once you once you do that there come the people that are defending this and that want to treat this as the sort of underdog game that is being unfairly prosecuted for the glitches. And no, it's not that bad. And I've played 90 hours of it and I've enjoyed it. So fuck you and your criticism. And so it's like, it's so frustrating
0: the game yeah because the game well two things is one like this is nothing new is is one thing it's just like we are more hyper conscious of it than ever but like women and people of color and queer people in the games industry have been getting harassed over video games forever this is just Mm -hmm. such a like i said earlier because this has become such a mainstream issue where like local news like the bbc is reporting on it on bbc news or whatever it's become impossible to ignore in a way that like prior to it like GamerGate made things impossible to ignore um Mm -hmm. In a way that like, you know, bad shit existed. People's voices were were pushed down well before any of that stuff in 2014, but nobody had to worry about it or or the people who had to worry about it were ignored. Um, because the mm-hmm. people who were in charge and ad- big editors at big places didn't have to deal with it on a daily basis. So they didn't uh take it seriously. And now we kind of have to take it seriously in a big way. Um And also the other issue with cyberpunk specifically is this game doesn't exist. This game is liminal. It's it it exists in the sense of, what it what people think it is going to be eventually, because they are shifting the conversation over to the bugs. Um the, the version of Cyberpunk that exists is still similar to they found a way to make it so that the hype machine for like what the game is eventually going to be went past when the game came out. Because, because the bugs are so pervasive and because they're making so many big promises about fixing them and stuff like that, people are like, well, everything will be fixed eventually. And so yeah. they they can. Continue to uh, exist. This game can continue to exist in the fairy tale world of pre-release, the way that all games do for a little while. All big games do for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gets to it gets that pass because a people were already primed to be hyped for it in the first place, and b the they are in some way smartly or at least like cleverly. Um, shifting the conversation away from um, the very real systemic issues in the game to things like oh it's a problem with bugs on older consoles it's not a problem with bugs on older consoles it is that's the worst case scenario but this game is busted on PC it's not fun to play on any version it's busted Mm -hmm. on PS5 it still runs like dog shit on on new consoles like what are like there is no PS5 version of this game there's no Xbox Series X version of this game for people to compare it to so when they say on older consoles Mm -hmm. it's bad all over
2: and either way, it's just the, the lack of empathy in the middle of a pandemic and not just a pandemic, but also a transition period for the industry in terms of hardware. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I think it's so fucking headass to be like, well, um, since it doesn't look good on the PS4, just get a PS5. Or but get, it's like, still
0: bad on the PS5, 3, yeah.
2: 000- yeah, exactly. Or get a $3,000 PC. Like, first of all. It's still buggy as shit on those. It is an unfinished game. It is factually an unfinished game. Second of all, like, we are in the middle of a pandemic in which almost a million people have filed for unemployment, in which the economy has been devastated, in which there is a transitional period between the past generation and now the current generation of hardware. Like, what is this lack of empathy and this expectation that I have to get a new console just to play this game? If you are making a profit, if you are getting my money on a console, it better fucking work on that console. And if it doesn't work, then you shouldn't be getting my money from it. Like, I don't, I don't understand the lack of empathy and understanding that so many people have reflected in the face of this game and I, I guess i on one hand that's just rhetorical i get it i it's mean r-
0: it's it's rhetorical specifically because like again factually the game does not it's the same game on the ps5 as it is on the ps4 it's it's the ps4 yeah. version of the game running on slightly better hardware that brute forces suit through some of the frame rate issues but the like mm-hmm. bugs are still there it still Absolutely. runs like shit and has texture pop in and stuff like that on the ps5 there is no version of this game for the new thing so it's like again i don't want the conversation to shift away from like Oh, just get it on. Just get a new console because it'll run fine there. Because it doesn't. That does. That version of the game doesn't exist. But again, and also, not everyone has that privilege. The, I know that's what I know. Yeah, I know yeah. that's what you're saying. But I don't want. I don't want the conversation to to become like. Oh, well, it works fine on the PS5, and it does it. It doesn't. Sure, sure. it, it doesn't. doesn't yeah. I mean,
1: I did. I did. I played this 100 on a PS5, and like, I I, I deleted it <laughs> yeah. because like I I unplayable. know it's 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 more or less unplayable. Like yeah. it, they've. They've made a few patches. They made five, I think, since it came out, and um, it still doesn't actually fix everything. There's a bug, for example. Okay,
2: uh, there's we, a bug that about, if what's... you if your save file is yeah. past eight megabytes, you risk losing your entire <laughs> yeah. fucking save. So, and how
1: it, and how it gets there is such a fucking RPG ass thing. Is like if you if you craft things. In order to resell something. So like if you take a bunch of components and then you make a gun, for example, out of those components and can can sell it at a huge markup for what, from what those original parts are worth. That's the most RPG-ass thing that you could do in an RPG. Like a Western-style RPG with a crafting system. That is like what... A lot of people do. They figure out a way to uh, manipulate the economy to get extra money. That's like a super common thing to do. It's a follow if you thing, do that, it's everything, yeah, yeah. If you do that a lot, it will bloat your your file size, and you even if they patch out the problem, if you do corrupt your file size above that eight eight megabytes uh, 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 limit it you it's it's unsalvageable like you will not be able to to fix that save so there were uh, there on a reddit forum there were people uh representing cdpr who were basically saying oh yeah like this wasn't really meant to be a thing that you do a whole lot of and like <laughs> spend hours and hours and hours doing and it's just like y'all like you can't tell us you're making these like immersive rpgs and then go we're not supposed to do that. You know, like y'all give us the tools. If you didn't think that this was something we would do with them, then then what what kind of designer are you to be
0: honest that's not a thing that's That's never been a thing in any video game ever where people like people are inventing arguments about games like as a genre as a medium to try and defend this game when like where people are like oh well you put mileage on a car the car runs out of of good stuff (laughs) it runs out of juice eventually and it's just like it's not that this is not, not that video games are not a thing where it's just like sometimes randomly they stop working because you played them too much that's not supposed to be a thing. Like, what are you fucking talking about?
2: Absolutely. I, and mm-hmm.
0: oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: Oh no, because I I was gonna move on, but if you have more oh. to say on this, oh topic, no, I was about to move on.
1: We, yeah, we should move on. Uh, no, I wanted to move on to some good stuff.
2: Because I do, I do want to. Uh, in my notes, I said there was one good question mark oh, sure. about cyberpunk um, that's fine and you
0: know, there are things both john and i who i think are very down on this game like about this game
2: oh yeah. no not in terms of things that like are good in the game i'm saying like as a result <laughs> of, of of all this and i don't mean that in like a snarky way um, that's just not what like i wanted to talk about but i i did want to say that like this and The Last of Us 2 coming out in the same mm. year and the conversations that we've been having about crunch have made me um, be a lot more careful with my words, just generally not just in articles and reporting, but also just on Twitter as like a public like facing person just because I ultimately, like, I, I would like to think, and there's so much nuance in this conversation i don't think there is nuance in the fact that crunch should be eradicated and that we should always strive to um make better working conditions for every developer in the industry but i do think there is a lot of nuance in the conversation and i have talked with developers um on some of the biggest games this year that have told me like you know like it's it's one thing to say, like, yeah, let's destroy crunch. But it's also like, you know, what if I'm a contractor and like this is they, they've dangled an opportunity and that opportunity is going to go to the person who puts in most hours. So I don't want to put in all these hours, but I have to if I want to get a full time job. And there's so many nuances. And so, like, I'm just I, I'm trying to be more empathetic and um, aware of where I direct my energy when it comes to reporting and talking about crunch because I am thinking... For example, of that worker in that uh, internal video meeting that Jason Schreier um, references in one of his latest reports, um, which is titled, let me just get the title real quick just so that I make sure that I'm not butchering it, Um, Cyberpunk Game Maker Faces Hostile Staff After Failed Launch, that's the title of the article, and I'm thinking about that developer who was You know, that's just one person out of many who I'm sure were thinking the same thing. Like, how can you make us develop a game about exploitative companies and societies and corporations while you are exploiting us? And the thing is that, Game development is so secretive. It's so lacking in transparency that it is so difficult for even the journalists who have access, which are maybe two in this industry that have (laughs) consistent access, like Jason Schreier and Patrick Klepek over at Waypoint um, and Jason Schreier at Bloomberg. Like, that is, uh, you know, when you're... You, you need to know, you need to identify the problem and know it inside and out in order to be able to effectively combat it. And so much of the issues of how we talk about crunch is just that we don't know. Like, these companies are so secretive and so shouted in mystery. Like, I don't know if that employee lost their job for saying that, for saying what so many people in that room were thinking, or yeah, we if they're going to lose that. their job or uh, like the moment that they finish, you know, serving their use as a body and like, as a, you know, like a developer who is making those patches that they need to get out the door ASAP. Like right. we don't know, we we will not know. And I'm just trying to, every day be a little conscious about how i talk about crunch and the workers and this game in particular and because i i I don't like this game i have a lot of disdain for it both personal and you know tied to the game but i want to criticize it in a way that does not make it any harder than it should be on the developers because i feel like if i am throwing the the rank and file developers under the bus the ones who just showed up to work who were told do this like put this dildo there or, (laughs) you know, like make this car go here or do this and do that. And who just showed up to work and who, you know, this was the way that they needed to make a living. Like if I can't talk about crunch and if we as an industry can't talk about crunch without throwing those people under the bus that are already so invisible under a system that is determined to render all its imperfections as invisible as possible, then I, I don't see the point. Yeah. and i want to be more conscious about that and so this game and the last of us two have really made me think about how how to tackle crunch how we talk about it and how we direct our energy like this yeah. this was not a problem that had to do with the rank and file developers this was management management on like that worked on this game that cdpr that management should be having like resignations all over, but that's not going to happen. The people that are going to lose their jobs are the people who were burnt out, or who, or that person who spoke up in that meeting. And so yeah. that's—I'm not sure if I'm making sense, but I just—you no, make I, perfect
0: sense. But I do think we we do need to maybe move on here. Um, and yeah, just move on because to to like. Different topics, because I think we've given this a, enough of our oxygen. But I think I do want to just say that you do a fantastic job on, on the site of writing about these kinds of issues and have done a good job in tackling Last of Us 2, which is a game that you actually like. And you also mm-hmm. talked about that stuff. And you, you're absolutely right that people should be more conscious of this sort of thing, uh, just in general. Um, but I'm glad that you do that work.
2: Yeah. John, uh, do you have anything to because I know that you've worked in game development. So I like really I mean, respect your... Opinion and your thoughts on this
1: I, I think I, I agree with Stephen That we should move on but I will say Like I think it's I think it's complex to be honest I mm-hmm. think there are Really big pockets of that company That agree with these decisions Yeah I think there are really big pockets of this Company that of, of that Company that um, I think that working in game Development is such a privilege that they Are happy to do that work Sure. Um, I think they make it very difficult for workers who are not in that boat to actually mobilize and speak up. Um, I I've seen that. I've seen mm-hmm. that aspect of it, which is like I think what is tough. But I think you know your points are mm, really useful to get me to understand and contextualize that. Like even if that's true. Okay, mm-hmm. uh those workers that decide that they can work a hundred hour weeks and it's just part of this 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 industry and they're happy to be here, so they'll do it or they believe in the work so they'll do it that is all enabled by management right mm-hmm. I mean like right. um that that's enabled by management, and we've even heard that you know the management is basically giving out. Tokens, literal tokens. Yeah, good boy tokens. Uh-huh. Yeah, good good boy mm-hmm. tokens. Essentially, to to the workers that do these kind of things that go above and beyond, and we don't know specifically what that means, but it sounds an awful lot like rewarding that kind of behavior to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, um, at the very least, so, it
0: creates a culture where you can feel like maybe you will be rewarded for sure participating where, in that culture, where it's
1: uncomfortable to not do those things where it's uncomfortable to work for eight hours a day and go home where, you know, it's uncomfortable to work 40 hours a week and go home. Like, you know, I, I think I have often focused on the inside out uh, approach and that's really before I started working a management role in this company. But it's like, you know, I used to get really mad at those workers, the workers that would basically make it uncomfortable for anyone else to take mm-hmm. a break or to like, because I've seen that before people who are like, Oh, you're taking another break, huh? Oh, you know, stuff uh, where it's like, you're not a, you're not a manager. You're not a cop. You're not fucking, you're not their parent. Like you, you can work in this place together and not have to have this ridiculous standard of each other. But again, I think to Natalie's point, all of this stuff is really being enabled or, um, or, or, or facilitated by management. And so if we're not focusing on, the management being taken to task for these decisions and these egregious errors and judgment, um, and budget management and time management and personnel management, then we're focusing on the wrong thing. And so this is obviously a talented team. I, I cannot fucking believe the same team that made the Witcher three made this game. I, I, I just can't believe it. And so you Mm -hmm. know that there's talent on this team. Um, And so it's not their fault that this game is bad. It really isn't. Mm -hmm. It is management's fault. It is the executives not being strong enough to sit there in a board meeting and look at their shareholders and look at the stock market and go, listen, this thing is going to be late. We're going to take a loss for the year, but we're still going to make fucking unbelievable profit in 18 months, in 24 months, whatever.
0: This game is too big to fail. It's too big
1: in a very literal sense. And so like if they had sold 13 million copies in a year or a year and a half, they still would have profited on the project. So Mm -hmm. like, I don't understand why, you know, the management makes these decisions other than. They're just kind of not ready to face the music. They're they're just not. They're a publicly traded company now. Yeah, but they're okay. So they're publicly traded at the end of the day. They still have shareholders to answer to. They still make public statements. They still have the ability to make decisions that don't cause people to, to bail, to, 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 to jump ship. They could genuinely make statements to the public that say, hey, just for total transparency to our shareholders, we are doing this to provide you with the highest value possible. We do not want to deliver something that's going to be broken and buggy and break our workers' backs. They could say that. And if the people jump ship and they want to sell their shares of that, fuck them. I don't mm-hmm. want that. I, that's how I would run a business. If you, if you're only going to invest in me, if I'm killing my employees, fuck you. And you can take your money somewhere else. Right. But they don't do that. No, of course. They don't do that. is that when you're publicly
0: traded like that and you have bad management up at top, of course, like the, of course, bad management is always going to kowtow to, uh, to shareholders. And that's just how that works in basically every company in this industry to the detriment of the products and to the detriment of the workers. <sighs> anyway, we
1: do anyway. we need to move on because <laughs> we, I think we I know I got lo- it. I love this, but let's get it out of the way. Okay, let's spin the we next We got it out, out of the way. Let me go look at the timestamp. That's 44 <laughs> minutes.
0: Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Another game with a seven in the title. Way better than Cyberpunk 2077. I liked um, it a lot, John. I know you did.
1: I liked it a whole lot. I, I put my goatees on the site. Um uh, uh a couple nights ago uh this Greatest. is my number 2 ga- yeah no, oh, thank you so much uh this is my number 2 game of the year uh this was uh if if Hades had not absolutely <laughs> kicked me in the side of the head with how good it was um th- this would have been my game of the year but Final Fantasy 7 remake is uh for me I think it this is my answer uh this is my answer of um taking something that Should have been safe. It should have been such a safe, easy thing for this team to do is to update a bunch of stuff, make it look great, make it sound great. All my friends are here. Oh yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Barrett with the gun arm. Neat. Cool. Uh, There's there are my, there are my friends that, that die 10 minutes into the original game. Um, (laughs) Like Jesse, this could have been, they could have just played the hits. And and what's so wild is that they did, and they also did a bunch of other shit that they didn't have yeah. to do. And yeah. and like that is like you want to talk about like fan service at its very best is when it takes something that that you know you love from your past and then teaches you how to love it in a totally new way. Yes. And and I think they accomplished something so incredible. Uh, and, and one thing I want to focus on just really quickly is the, the, the character of Aerith, who yes. genuinely this, this, this story is really about her right. to me. I loved and, that line
2: in your piece.
1: Oh, thank you. Um,
2: Cause I agree. It, it is about her. <laughs> it, it, it is her story.
1: And, and what they did in this game was they made her so funny and so sweet and so interesting in a way that felt very real to me. She she p- doesn't put up with Cloud's bullshit in, in a way that I think is like so charming and disarming immediately. Um, she really cares about the people in her neighborhood. She really cares about everyone in the world, yet also has this edge to her that I think was actually maybe missing – not maybe missing, but maybe more muted in the original. Right. And I think – they, what they did to Aerith's character is, I think, one of the big triumphs of this game and of the year for me. So, hell yeah. Hence, this is one of, my, one of my favorite games.
0: Natalie, did I- you play Remake?
2: Uh, yes, we were on the review pod together,
1: Steven.
0: We were. Hey, Natalie, that that was 700 years
1: ago. 700 years ago. I don't
0: remember shit that happened before last week. So I'm sorry. I'm (laughs) genuinely sorry. That (laughs) is so (laughs) legit. But yes, uh,
2: my game of the year list is not up yet. It will be soon once my amazing editor, Stephen Strom, gets around Mm. to looking over it. Um, But I put Final Fantasy VII Remake in my third position of like my top 10 game. Um, And I spent the entire time just talking about how, like, I agree with John entirely that this should have been really safe, but I also feel like there were so many ways for this to have gone wrong because nostalgia is so powerful and it is so personal that, you know, this deviation would have upset like this part of the fan base or the community or the player base or maybe if you if you did more of this or you did more like it was so I think it was at the same time as it was a safe thing or it should have been a safe thing I think it was so risky because you are returning to one of the most revered video games of all time um you know that there are a few ways that you can technically improve a game that has achieved this sort of cultural status and yet they went ahead and did it in my opinion and they decided to not play it safe they decided to go buck wild at the end they decided yeah. to make a super faithful remake but also not let the past hold them back from instilling excitement into what is like a 20-year game like that is absolutely insane and I think there is I think there is a very palpable level of care on behalf of the team producing this and the executives on it you know directing the story um figuring out the direction because this this should have been a really easy cash grab like this should have just been like a remake of you know Final Fantasy VII. people would have loved it people would have paid up front for it like as much as they have but they decided to do something new with it and they decided to expand on the characters they decided to bring Aerith to life with so much characterization that was peeking through in the original but that was not fully there because i mean that that's just, like, you're talking about the first sort of 10 hours of the original expanded right. into, like, 40 hours here. If, if um,
0: that, like, like, four hours, five hours. Yeah, 30,
2: you know? yeah, honestly, yeah, right. more like that. And so it's, like, if it, I, I think under more maybe cynical creators, it should have been something easy for them to have done just you know beat by beat remake do it go get the money people have wanted this for ages every fucking year it's been final fantasy 7 remake until it was formally announced <laughs> years ago right? right um but they didn't they're doing something new and i feel at least i feel like there is a level of care um that is so apparent like this love for the the characters and the universe and um the direction that it's taking is really uncertain and i think that is terribly exciting. I think that is so wonderful especially um you know and it's just redefining how we define remakes. Like what does a remake constitute now? Um because it can be, you know, a beat by beat thing. It could be like a Shadow of the Colossus remake or it could be something like this that you're literally remaking the canon. And I think that is super exciting and gamer voice innovative and Just yeah, I I mean, it's
0: it's such a different version of the Same sort of cycle we saw with the Final Fantasy 15 thing where it's just like, here's this project that's been in development for 16 years and feel by the time it comes out. I like Final Fantasy 15 in a lot of ways. I like a lot of parts of it, Mm -hmm. but in no way does that game feel like it had like a very specific one of the problems with it is it feels like it has no specific direction. It doesn't have anything specific Mm -hmm. it wants to do or say. It feels like it feels exactly like what it was, which is a project that was started and rebooted 1600 times behind the scenes, um, much like. It seems to be happening with Dragon Age 4, which is another uh, hmm. RPG that I'm, I'm sorry, Natalie. Uh, it seems to be what's happening going on there. Um, and by the time it came out, it was just a mess. And Final Fantasy Seven is another game that was, you know, hinted at and teased and a Uh, long
1: time ago a
0: long time ago so long ago but by the time it came out it you know it has its problems i i have some problems with the combat specifically but it feels Mm. like a game that has a purpose it has a direction to it it doesn't feel like a big just massive jumble of of ideas that don't really have anybody at the helm deciding how these are all meant to gel together it does have that um and so the level of care like you said natalie that went into it shines through, is able to shine through in a way that I'm actually worried uh, now that they've done the first part, hopefully they don't just like wait another seven years before they put out part two or whatever and <laughs> run into the same problem. I hope they just build off of what that they, what they have here, which is a thing that square Enix infamously has a problem doing. Um, although, you know, one of the reasons that this game feels like it has such good direction is because it feels like it builds off of so many ideals that they've used in past games, like final fantasy 13, like Natalie, you wrote about, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. John, you've said this in the past, like it feels like they took some ideas from kingdom hearts, uh, in terms of combat and stuff like that and put them into there. Yeah
2: they're just yeah. so aware of what they knew that they couldn't sacrifice that made final fantasy 7 final fantasy 7 the you know super famous and revered game that it is but they weren't they were aware of what they could divorce themselves from and yeah. what they could turn into something new and exciting and i think that 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 it shouldn't have worked and it shouldn't have worked as incredibly as it did i'm just still amazed to buy final fantasy seven remake yeah
0: um, another remake that I just beat earlier this week that I will mention kind of briefly is Demon Souls. They thought you were going to say Persona oh, 5 yeah. Royal. Persona 5 Royal I also beat earlier this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, both of those are... After, after
1: spending all 374 hours with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know,
0: John, you're not
1: uh, as far oh, off my... as you
0: maybe think you are. <laughs> no,
2: no, he knows that. <laughs> yep.
0: um, I think my total playtime was somewhere in the area of 200 hours. Um, oh, that's not too bad. Royal. No, it's, you know, 200 hours, you know? Could um, be worse. I beat uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 this year. That's nothing. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Demon God. Souls uh, is the exact opposite style of remake, where they were very faithful to that game. And actually... Uh, after beating it, I realized in some ways that they were less faithful to it in, in kind of interesting mechanical ways, like adding new mechanics to that game, do like redoing some of the localization stuff. And I think what's most interesting to me about Demon's Souls, um, having played it now versus having played it back on the PlayStation 3, is like me as a person being more uh, cognizant of some of the storytelling methods in the From Software games and being able to pick up on the subtle nature of that world that is being um, expressed to me through character dialogue and through item descriptions and stuff like that. Me kind of realizing, like, oh, in this world, there's this conflict between people who believe in, like, magic and people who believe in, like, God. And then there's this character in that game called Sage Frake, who you can rescue from the Tower of Latria, which is a very famous location in demon souls you can rescue him and he has this like throwaway line of dialogue where he kind of like hints that like this fucking this fucking preach uh priest people they don't know what the fuck is actually going on god forbid that they ever find out what their so-called god actually is and you find like on his item description of his clothes it's it'll say something along the lines of like oh this is really grimy and tattered, but underneath it, you can tell that this clo- that his uniform uh, used to belong to a saint. So Sage Frake used to be a saint. He used to be in that church, and so he. But then he found out, based on his dialogue, he probably found out something about the nature of God in Demon Souls that made him turn away from the church. And then you find more items, and so on and so forth, until you kind of like come to the conclusion, like, oh, God is actually. Uh, the demon that everybody like is afraid of god and the devil in this universe are the same being and there's no actual like this whole conflict is like completely made up it's just people being dumbasses uh and all Mm -hmm. this stuff and like noticing stuff like that now um in the modern context and has given me such a much deeper appreciation for what demon souls was doing all the way back then it's really interesting uh, and it just feels great like they did such a blue point did such a good job of modernizing the combat and some of the systems in that game. Uh, they added this concept of like item burden to Demon Souls where mm-hmm. you can't just carry infinite healing items and farm your way up to like um, being basically invincible because you just have ninety nine full moon grasses to eat at any given moment. Uh, <laughs> you actually have to like think about your builds in more interesting ways as a result of that. And um, yeah. I'm glad that they did that. I think it's got some some issues mm-hmm. with the some of the character designs and stuff like that. I also think they do a better job with some of the character designs uh, in the Blue Point version. So
2: absolutely, yeah. and I I'm really glad that you brought up Demon's Souls right after Final Fantasy VII remake because I just I just feel like those two together in conversation are so interesting because like just going back to the concept of a remake, like a remake can be different things like it's not it's not just like a a very clear line between Remake and remaster. And that those two things are very easily defined. Like Demon's Souls is as much of a remake as Final Fantasy VII Remake. Just we are expanding the definitions of what that can constitute. And I think that's so cool and creative and exciting. It makes me excited for any games that get that treatment. You know, games that I've loved from my childhood and that other people, including myself, that will experience in new ways. Because we all experienced Final Fantasy VII Remake in such new ways from the original. And that's just so terribly exciting to me. I don't know.
0: Hell yeah. Uh, John, I know you played just a little bit of the Demon Souls remake, yeah. but uh, I don't know what your kind of take on it. Good
1: is. one. It's a good game. Yeah. Good one.
0: Cool. Great. Thanks, John. <laughs> the John Warren, everybody. <laughs> that's head of that's really, uh, fans. It's
1: kind of, kind of the insightful commentary you come to me for. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, good. Uh, game. Good. Game. game good. good. Uh, um i hope to play more of it in in the new year oh, totally. i just haven't i haven't played a ton of it but uh it's 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 pretty i, I will say it feels good to play it with a, a big beefy frame rate oh yeah that. that does feel good
0: that so. game i talked about this on fan Width, i think uh just yesterday but like that game has a button that you can just basically flip at any point without having to restart the game that you can switch between performance mode where it's 60 frames and yeah. um resolution mode and being able to do it that seamlessly really elucidates how fucking bad 30 frames per second feels compared to 60 frames because you you, you're running around in 60 frames and then you just instantly hit a button and you switch back to 30 and i'm just like oh this looks like dog shit i can't play this (laughs) um but yeah um i'm glad that exists and i actually there's been a real big trend of Games getting remade or re-released or ported or enhanced this year, and specifically in the RPG front, we had Persona 4, Golden came to PC, they put out Mm -hmm. the Trials of Mana remake, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, I can never say that game's name out loud, Tokyo Tokyo Mirage Sessions, and Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, both came out to the Switch,
1: Um, Moon came out. Yeah, it's just been a big I, loved, I love that character from Hades, the secret <laughs> character, Chron- Chronicles.
0: Chronicles, uh, he is the uh, farmer of blunts uh, in that game. You go back to him every Stupid. time that you die on a run.
1: Stupid. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't know. Does anybody have any kind of like, kind of these smaller, older games that they want to shout out?
2: Uh, the no? small okay. game named uh, Genshin Impact.
0: Oh yeah, that's a brand new game, but yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, a small old game named Genshin Impact. <laughs> but um that's that's about that's you, what comes into my brain. Have that's, you played a lot
0: of Genshin Impact, Natalie? Uh I
2: haven't played a second of it. Oh,
0: okay.
1: John? I just <laughs> <laughs> um I was uh I was playing Breath of the Wild on stream oh, yesterday. So you were and, playing Genshin, Genshin Impact, <laughs> huh? So no, but someone was um someone was you know, I, I said something very offhand handedly. I was like, Well, when this came out in twenty seventeen, it's one of the only major Um, single player games that I kind of wished they had turned into a live experience in some way, like adding, Mm. adding new quests all the time outside of it. did that DLC adding maybe new dungeons or towns or areas to explore. It's, it's one of the only games that like, I still play it now and discover things that I didn't know about you know in for the past you know 400 hours or how much I've played that game yeah. however much I've played that game um yeah but like Genshin Impact is attempting that kind of formula so big open it it it's, it's a bit different than breath of the wild. So like, don't go in thinking it's like the same game. Cause there are a lot of different elements, but like in terms of having that openness of exploration, it does scratch that itch in a lot of ways. Um, and so it's doing something really interesting. It's not my deal. Like, I think like the gotcha stuff, it, it just, it adds a layer to a game that pulls me so far out. I can't get into it. Right. Um, that's just me. Like I think folks that are super into that stuff and and can do it responsibly, um, you know, like power to you. Um, but like I, you know, it it it's just not not one of my not one of my jams. But I think it's like it's it's an amazing story this year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because exactly. It's a game that came from a Chinese developer, Chinese publisher. Um, feels like it's really the first one in a long time to kind of make an impact here in the U.S. A Genshin impact, and if you will. A Genshin impact, if you will. Um, and that feels important to me. Yeah. Um. So yeah, because
0: like Chinese games have gotten like. Absolutely enormous, but it doesn't feel like they've really had the cultural penetration in the West for as big as like Western media has become in China. It hasn't really gone both ways in a huge way um, out here. And this, yeah, you're right, John, this does feel like the 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 blockbuster that we've had from China so far. Uh, They recoup their development costs on this game in like the first week that it was out or something like that, which is great. Right. Um, I also agree with you about the gotcha stuff in this game. I like gotcha games. Even I like right. collecting waifus. I like horny games. Like I'll be, I'll admit it. I'll be honest about that stuff. I've been honest about that stuff before in articles where it breaks down for me in Genshin Impact a little bit is this is a game that is so deeply about traversal and, some of the traversal some of the best traversal stuff in that game is tied to an ultra rare character that you can't currently get um, which is uh, uh, Venti which is one of the first characters that they released in that game um, in their you know five star rarity stuff and so it has been interesting to me to watch a bunch of people who are way into this game and see how many of those people are like yeah I got Venti the first week the game came out and I love it it's so great I get to jump in the air and fly around and stuff like that Uh and glide and it's like well I never got him and I haven't gotten my wife Baydu has not come home and i don't have anything that i want and it's like this this world is still cool but like where it breaks down for me is when the gotcha stuff isn't just about combat options and is instead about like how i like on a fundamental level interact with that world when that stuff is gated away behind um rng that's where it breaks down for me for sure
2: I feel it. You know, when when I first started seeing the Venti stuff, I was like, why are people talking about their Starbucks orders? (laughs) So (laughs) it was so confusing. And then I had to realize that there is a character in Genshin Impact named Venti. Yeah,
0: he's a very good boy who is probably also a god, but nobody believes him. Um he's great. Um he's he's in that story, but in order to play with him, you need to get him from a pull. And yeah, it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I'll very briefly mention this game but it's a game that um, I think the conversation around it has become like people are sleeping on this game uh, 13 Sentinels Ages 13 room. Sentinels
2: yeah uh, yep,
0: yeah yep. yep. Natalie fucking reads my mind again
2: I just yeah can't I need it a, I have a code I need to play it mm. oh Natalie
0: you would love this game
2: I know I would love it how because because I I remember one of the things that put me off was, um from this game was your article about one of the character designs in particular. Um, but how do you feel about the game since then? Like, how did that show?
0: I, I think that stuff with that character specifically starts to is is still a problem that kind of pervades throughout that game, but at, there is so much to that game at a certain point, and that character is such a small part of it that um, it becomes, like, you realize, oh, the ratio... They they try to get the horny in right at the beginning to kind of hook a certain audience, I feel like. <laughs> um, I'm always trying to get that horny in right at the beginning, you know, just, just kind of making my opened, intentions known. Open
1: the door, and it's just horny. Hi.
0: <laughs> Hi it's me. And yeah, um, But, yeah, over time, that game gets a lot um, different. Uh, it, it does a lot of different things. I don't want to spoil too much, because it is such a, such a, such a story-driven game. Uh, yeah. Even though I actually think the the combat stuff, which is this sort of real-time strategy game, uh, grew on me over time. Um,
1: oh, did
2: it? Because uh, I remember that put me off a lot too, just like the... The
1: concept, but um yeah. you don't I you don't have to really do any things. you don't have to do anything with it though, right?
0: You do, but it because what ends up happening is if you get far enough in the story of the characters in the visual novel element of that game, you'll eventually get to a point where it says, "Hey, you need to beat level five of the RTS thing oh, in order to play more of this." Gotcha. But also, it's so easy that like. It's just the exactly the right level of challenge for me, where I don't, where I felt engaged, but also never felt like I got stuck on a single level. The only times I would get stuck is if I was trying to complete all the optional objectives. Which, by the time I got way into the real-time strategy combat, I wanted to do the objectives anyway. I think it's it's the look of it. It's so rudimentary. It has this weird sort of vector graphics look to it that just really put me off at first. Um, and once I was able to get past the the visual design, I realized, oh, this is actually a pretty solid, like almost turn-based real-time strategy game hybrid thing. It's very interesting. Um, mm.
2: Have you finished it?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I beat this a couple of okay. times.
2: Okay, okay, word, word. I, I'm I think dying this, to play
0: it. I think the story goes a little bit off the rails by the end. Uh, I seem to be in the minority about people who um, feel that way because a lot of people seem to really think it sticks the landing. I think part of it, too, for me... Is that this game is, uh, you know, for people who don't know, uh, it is a real-time strategy game on the side, but then the meat of it is this sort of like asynchronous visual novel where you are playing as 13 various characters throughout the game and seeing the story from their various perspectives um, in this sort of almost visual novel-like fashion, and... A lot of people are like, "Wow, I've never played a game like this before." And the thing is, I have played a game like that before—the <laughs> uh, Zero Escape series of visual novels. Yes, I was
2: gonna say, mm. "Have you played with games?" Yep. That's my man. Uh,
0: I love those games. Uh, uh, yeah. Zero Time Dilemma—not not the best one of those. <laughs> it's not the best. <laughs> okay, okay, no, yeah,
2: I, I pretend that doesn't exist. Anyways, <laughs> but, um, one day we'll talk about those.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. god. Uh, but the the thing is, I think. I had seen that concept executed before. And so yes. the big surprise of like, oh, it's it's a visual novel where you see the same story from multiple perspectives in almost like different timelines, like that sort of thing I had seen before. Whereas I think for people who were coming into this fresh and had never played those games before, they didn't really know to experience that. But yeah, uh, I still like the game overall. It is gorgeous. It looks amazing.
2: Super pretty. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's a pretty so game. Pretty it's a vanilla game so for cute. people.
0: You
2: know,
1: yeah.
2: I was actually going to ask you I was waiting for you to finish before you said before you brought up Zero Escape I was going to be like have you played a Shikoshi game?
0: Yep yeah. I have Natalie I want to go back I and have. replay some of them yeah, I played AI the Somnium Files uh, early this year. I think.
2: Yeah, that I didn't like it as much, but me neither. Yeah. But
0: it was—it gave me enough of that kind of vibe that I was like, "Oh, okay, this this is a, this is a fix for me." I like yes. I, I like some of the characters. In My that,
2: Uchikoshi but. fix, yes. And I've heard similar comparisons to 13th Sentinel, so I am excited to play it once I stop playing Hades oh, yeah. someday.
0: I think we can also stop this podcast real quick because we've been going for a little while now and I think we've kind of hit all the biggest stuff that we want to hit,
1: right? We've hit some big stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no Natalie? what do, you do? tell us tell us tell us what no, thi- talking about no
2: I'm just thinking about how I was really I, like I literally wrote in my notes let's get it out of the way and that discussion
1: <laughs> and was 40, 40 minutes yeah I know yes. um, uh. This this Jordo, you could just go ahead and call it let's get this out of the way for 45 minutes. Oh. <laughs>
0: as <laughs> an amazing episode title thank you john for throwing that in at the end there and thank you john for joining me on another episode of 99 oh, of Motions. course where can people find you on twitter if they want to do so
1: uh you can find me at floppy adult on twitter
2: natalie
0: where can people find
1: you
2: you can find me at Misa, that's H-A-R-I-M-E-C-I-A and I spelled it correctly this time. Oh, hell
0: yeah. Good job. Much like I always say Tokyo Mercham correctly <gibberish> the first time. You said uh-huh. it right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Stephen Strum, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-T-R-O-M. You can find Fanbyte Media on Twitter at, at Fanbyte Media. The media is important. We are not at Fanbyte. That's like a Fucking squatter account. That's another
1: something. thing. <laughs> yeah, it's some some guy with three followers or something. Yeah. Uh,
0: um. And we you
2: will can, defeat him in hand to hand combat one day.
1: One we day. Will.
0: Once we once it's safe to be uh, within six feet of people again, we will we engage in our blood sports like we always do. You know. Yes. Uh, you can send any. Questions, comments, concerns, anything cool that you just want to share with us to podcast at fanbyte.com. That's the email address for all of the fanbyte podcasts, which you can find at fanbyte.com slash podcasts. We have a ton of them, and they're all very good. Everyone, and I mean everyone, should listen to Office Hours because it is quietly the <laughs> funniest fucking thing Anyone on this website has ever done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of fun. It was Boublay Day this week, y'all. <laughs> Boublay we Day, celebrate Michael <laughs> Uh
0: Until next week, we'll have a very special a little little bonus episode for you next week because we're going to be on vacation. We all need some time off. We talked too hard about cyberpunk, and now we're tired, <laughs> and now we need a vacation. <laughs> so uh, expect a expect a shorter one next week, but it'll still be very good. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, until then, and as always, truly, Yes. I really need to kind of wet my whistle right about now. My throat is real dry <laughs> after getting so heated over cyberpunk. I'm sorry. That sounds like a
2: cyberpunk advertisement.
0: <laughs> I need to wet my whistle. My throat is dry. Uh, so I'm just going to sidle up to the uh, cyber bar and get myself a tall glass of neon glowing pink goo that i can chug like this